All right, so we are going to uh, get into it today. We are continuing our series on Christian ethics, and the last three weeks we covered abortion, which was a hot-button issue, and so now we're going to cover uh, another one, which is um, homosexuality. So uh, kind of talking to the older crowd among us, and I would say kind of my age and older, um, you know, there's been this remarkable uh, cultural transformation on the issue of homosexuality, um, where it was seen as a universally bad thing uh, in, my, in my childhood, and now um, uh, it's celebrated and it's, it's fashionable. And there's a number of reasons for it, but I thought I'd just kind of review um, just a little bit of the history of the movement, okay? So for the duration of the 20th century, uh, society considered homosexuality an aberration. Yet a turning point occurred early in the morning of June, on June 28, 1969, when police raided the Stonewall Inn, a prominent gay bar located in Greenwich Village, that's in New York City. Enraged at what they saw as police brutality and public marginalization, the crowd fought back and a riot ensued. In the aftermath, the gay rights movement began. In 1973, the gay rights movement achieved a major victory when the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, homosexuality was now considered an acceptable mental condition. In the 1980s, the AIDS epidemic at first seemed to slow the progress of the gay rights movement. However, it galvanized the homosexual community to take political action and at the same time challenged the heterosexual community to respond with compassion. Movies like An Early Frost and The Band Played On and Philadelphia generated sympathy for those dying with the disease. In the last decade, more advances transpired, actually two decades ago. In 2003, the Supreme Court struck down sodomy laws. In 2004, Gavin Newsom, the mayor of San Francisco, authorized same-sex marriage. In 2010, President Barack Obama repealed the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy and allowed homosexuals to openly serve in the military. In 2013, the Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act as well as Proposition 8, which defined traditional marriage in California. And in 2015, gay marriage was mandated in all 50 states. And in reality, I don't know if there's another legal victory um, for them to achieve. I mean, they pretty much got uh, everything they, they wanted uh, to this point. Um, but as Christians, I mean, how, how should we kind of respond to uh, these advances and just, we'll call it the cultural hegemony of the gay rights movement? It would have been some bad responses to this. Westboro Baptist. Westboro Baptist Church, yeah. If you're not familiar with them, that's Fred Phelps um, started a uh, started protesting. I remember even in the 90s when I was at KU, he would protest AIDS funerals. He would had a he had a motto that God hates, and he used the modern F word. And little known fact, do you know he actually boycotted our church? So they the police came in. And told me that Fred Phelps wanted to, you know, protest our church. And basically, it's a church full of lawyers. Okay, so what they do is they enrage people, they try to get attacked, and then they sue the police departments for not protecting them. So 
so they kind of bounce from place to place protesting. So they wanted to protest our church for some reason. And the only parcel of public land where they could protest was right across from Free Will Baptist Church down the street. So we basically have, you know, a feather in our cap where we were protested by Freddie Phelps, but he disrupted the other church's service. So <laughs> God works all things for good, right? But yeah, th that would be one. It's just some of the anger. Um, and, and I think even, I mean, and, and that wasn't helpful for the Christian testimony, to be honest. All right, what are some other maybe bad responses that people might have? Embracing it. Okay. Want to develop that a little bit? I mean, if one extreme of a negative is to be hateful and mm -hmm. uh, inconsiderate, you know, out, you know, hateful and not include biblical mandates yeah. in a way that ignores what the Bible instructs us to act, then ignoring the Bible's instruction in the opposite direction and just embracing homosexuality mm -hmm. and saying that it's okay and. Uh -huh. Um, deciding that it's not a sin, or at least not a sin worth mm -hmm. fighting about. Um, mm -hmm. You're, you're. It's just as bad because you're ignoring biblical mandate again. It all comes down to what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cultural pressure to affirm it in some way. Okay. Other responses that have been less than helpful. Yeah, yeah. We the snits are on a roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep it going, keep it going. <laughs> oh, uh, viewing uh, homosexuality as, um, I think, the, the culminating, like addressing the act of uh, homosexuality as the sin that needs to be addressed instead of rebellion against God, mm -hmm. like, honing in on, on that specific sin, yeah. and feeling successful if people um, repent from sexuality without homosexuality without without turning for the goal is to make them straight yeah 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 well I think on the other side too would be <coughs> having a dichotomy between compassion and condemnation <coughs> one or the other mm -hmm. and if you side too much of compassion it is the affirmation like you said it's, mm -hmm. it's the SSA, the side B Christianity that's really infiltrating the church and affecting a lot of the... You wanted to find side B Christianity? Where you can have... Um, you're identifying as a homosexual, but you're celibate. You choose celibacy because mm -hmm. that's not biblical. To Side A would be the ones that are out yeah. and out homosexual, but side B would be the ones that, yes, they're <coughs> homosexual, yeah. but they're not going to get married. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point, I think, for us to maybe kind of consider, you know, that some people will say, um, I'll still identify as a homosexual or a same-sex attracted Christian, but I will practice celibacy. And then you have other people who will say, I will identify as a homosexual Christian and <coughs> express it in the context of a loving, monogamous, homosexual union. Right? And now I think there's a third side that's not mentioned, but we can get to that later on. Uh, yeah, there's been some, I think there's been some attempts to, to soften the Bible's stance on homosexuality. Now, why, why is there um, a temptation to do that? 
why do many people feel like they need to soften or, or even uh, apologize for the Bible's stance on the issue? Trying to get more people to come to church. Okay. Why is that such a big deal for so many people? Um, for some churches, they just want to see converts. Uh -huh. So if they think they can get more people in the church, they can get more converts. Uh -huh. But if you're not keeping the whole, I mean, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of interested with, the, um, with some of the younger people, right? What kind of reputation does evangelical Christianity have among your peers? We're like the outcasts. Yeah, why is that? Um, because we stand up for the truth and like it's in our conversations and mm -hmm. yeah, we just stand up for the truth. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, you're saying that they're kind of outcast Sorry. because they stand up for the truth. Yeah. Other... Have you guys give some feedback? Like when you when you let people know where you stand on this issue, what is the general response that you get? Like a good for you kind of thing. Oh, you think so? Like yeah, it's okay just for like good for you, but like I'm not gonna mm -hmm. convert kind of thing. Okay. Well, there there's people just like you, so why would you deny them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have some you have some slogans, right? Like love is love. And um, and one of the popular cultural narratives is there is a higher suicide rate for transgender youth and LGBT well and and gay youth right and the reason why is because they have not been affirmed and there's still a social stigma attached <coughs> to that and it's usually conservative parents who try to convert their children out of it that drive them to take their own life, right? So there's, so I think what, I, what I've seen in my um, years of being a Christian is, uh, and I converted in 1994, uh, it went from, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, good for you. You know, Christians were bad because we are high and holy, right? We look down on people to now, it's a, almost a dangerous ideology uh, that actually oppresses other people. Right, so, uh, and some of that pressure, I think, has caused some people who want to maybe be more attractional in their churches to maybe de-emphasize it, not talk about it, or even be embarrassed by it. And so I think homosexuality is just, is accepted as moral and good, and the righteous response to homosexuality is to affirm it, right? So. That's part of the reason why this has become such a pointed issue um, for the church. Like, we take stands against adultery, but so does everybody else, right? We take stands against lying and murder, but so does everybody else. Um, we take a stance against greed, or at least we should, but you know, so does everyone else. But this has kind of been a cultural flashpoint um, that I would say has become, dare I say, um, the people who fear God are often identified by how they answer this question. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, the people who fear God are often defined by how they answer this question. And more and more people feel this cultural pressure to change their theology. So, I mean, how would you respond to someone who says, homosexuality is just another sin, why make a big deal about it? Because God views sin all the same. Okay. So it's still just another sin. Yeah. Romans 1, God uses it as a barometer to show how far we've deviated from the truth. Uh-huh. There's a progression, multiple stages where they turn from the truth, then they get themselves over to sexual <coughs> impurity, then they get uh-huh. themselves over to homosexuality, and then they complete depravity. So it's a sliding scale. The scripture yeah. uses a barometer. Yeah, and it is featured as, as an example, right? Yeah, what else? I think if you're already accepting that it's a sin... Um, then uh, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, you know it, say a, an extramarital relationship mm-hmm. we would condemn that we would actively condemn that and we do yeah. and I think this whoever asks this would probably agree with us mm-hmm. I mean hopefully uh, but if, if if somebody asked it's just you know uh, an extramarital affair is just another sin why make mm-hmm. a big deal about it Mm-hmm. We make a big deal about it because not only is it a sin, it's a sin that's actively encouraged and even glorified. Yeah. And so when a sin, when a sin is actively glorified, there need to be extra measures taken um, to emphasize mm-hmm. that this is that this is not God's way. Okay. Um, and and it can be extra dangerous if we don't make a big deal about it. Um, uh-huh. Because of the, again, the positive connotation that it's been given. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. It's been given a positive connotation, and so there has to be a little bit more of a pushback. Yeah. Leo? I think part of it is because it's a sin that they're actively living in, and so it becomes part of their identity and their lifestyle. Whereas, um, not saying like lying is a sin, but it's not some. It can become a lifestyle, but sometimes it's something they do. Whereas homosexuality is an active lifestyle they're living in, yeah, as part of that. I think that's an excellent point. Um, where we live in the day and age of what defines your identity, and um, part of that is there's been a movement in the late '60s towards kind of like identity politics, like feminism. You know, you have like an African American voting bloc. and then you kind of have like the gay rights movement. You know, and so you have your political affiliations are defined by that. Uh, you have gay culture, right? Right. That is your people, you know, the pride celebrations. Um, gay bars, right? There's gay dating services. Uh, I mean, there's a whole community kind of built around that that really reinforces that and is part of who they are. Which is why it's very difficult to tell somebody uh, who's a self-identified homosexual that, yeah, we we love the sinner and hate the sin, right? If you disapprove of this, you disapprove of me. And so there's a weddedness between this activity and two people that we don't see in other, in other sense. And, and, and I'm just saying, this is why it's just so difficult to talk about it, yeah. right? I mean, as you talk about identity, it does make it, in one sense, it's more clear to yeah. the homosexual that conversion requires that your old self dies. Yeah and you have to have a new identity. Sometimes that's not yeah. as clearly drawn out. Uh-huh. You. If someone that seems very outwardly moral 
yeah. in a sense that you no, know, the person that you are in, in Christ, that that whole person needs to needs to die. Yeah, and you're, you're going to have a new identity yet. So having a new identity in Christ, it becomes kind of the positive part of that coin. That yeah, whatever it is that you're leaving in Islam, and that's your identity, or if you're leaving yeah. Christ, that you do have a new identity that's in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, Joshua? I'm going to respond in a practical way. Uh, two things. One, whenever you say it's just another sin, you have a problem. So for us as Christians, there's never just a sin. Every sure. sin, uh -huh. someone else said you know, is worthy of condemnation, and we take seriously and we should take seriously. The other side is we're actually not the ones making it a big deal in comparison yeah. to other sins as a pattern. Society's made it a, a big deal. So I would rather not be talking about LGBTQ issues all the time. But how our society is functioning today... Uh, requires acceptance by all people or you'll become marginalized. That includes politically, economically, socially. Um, <coughs> you can lose your job. So it's really the, the force of society right now enforcing yeah. or requiring acceptance yeah. that makes us have to respond. And it seems like we're making a big deal about it, but it's actually a little bit on the defensive because we're being forced to address this all the time. But I would, I mean, seriously, I would way rather not talk about this nearly yeah. as much as we do. But society makes us respond in some way, deal with the consequences. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. Like, sometimes I watch older movies, like, in the knot. Is that what you call the... Mm -hmm. Did that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's no gay characters, yeah, which, is you know, which is interesting. And, but nowadays, if you watch, like, a new series, there's always, I mean, part of the, the new standards are you have to have a gay character written into every script. And so it really is in your face all the time. Does that make sense? So I think you're right. I mean, I think even culturally, there's a real aggressive push. And I would even say there's like massive over-representation um, that takes place. You don't find faithful evangelical Christians in those shows, but you unless they're portrayed as a villain, yep. <laughs> right? They quote a Bible verse, you know they're going to be a bad guy. But, and maybe there's a good guy who changes his mind later on. But yeah, it's really pushed. Yeah. I, mean, I think one of the reasons why it can be worthwhile to make a big deal mm. about the sin of homosexuality is if we're embracing God's good plan for sexuality. Yeah. And so any, any sin mm -hmm. is destructive. It's yeah. destructive for the individual who's committing the sin, and mm -hmm. it's destructive for, any, for them, their family and for broader society. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's goodness in speaking and making a big deal about mm -hmm. in, in calling sin sin. Yeah. And not, not, I mean, that there is a condemnation piece to that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, but there's a beauty to that. If, yeah. if our desire is to, to call people to God's good plan, and um, because it's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even, um, I mean, the more I've kind of thought about this, I'm more disturbed by the identity issue than the sexual activity issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, in um, like in ancient Rome at the time, you know, homosexuality wasn't wasn't really a thing. It's kind of like we're all adults here, right? 
Like in prison, there's a lot of homosexual acts, but people wouldn't call themselves homosexual. It's sex by convenience. And that's, in many ways, that's how it expressed itself. Sex by convenience is sexual acts, but the, you know, the men would still be married and have all these other things there. It's just an expression of that. Um, now, as our society has kind of advanced in the West, um, you know, there has been kind of this growing sense that who you really are, right, is found where? Is found inside of you, right? So, and we talked a little bit, and, and this is why that book, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, has been a great book, how there's kind of a severing uh, between, right, the body and the soul. And even there's an understanding, you know, that this, the soul, is really the foundation to the body, right? That you, you know, the soul is more real than your body. That's why I let's say in transgenderism, if the body and soul do not match, what do you change? You change the body because the soul is immutable. And and I'd even say this too. You know what the greatest threat to the gay rights movement is? It's not evangelical Christianity anymore. It's actually the transgender movement. And we're going to talk a little bit later on because initially the, this argument was switched for a long time, but now it's just more open um, that the soul, and how do you discover your soul? Right? You are the only one you can see inside of you to determine what is in your soul, and you need to be able to live it out. And so if you have a soul that is same-sex attracted, that's who you are. Does that make sense? So when you look at true repentance of this. It's not just stopping the sin. A lot of it is understanding that you are who you are, body and soul, and that your identity has been given to you. Right? So as, as I kind of think about it, it's more of the identity crisis that is the bigger, that is the bigger issue that makes it such a stubborn um, sin to turn away from. So we'll talk more about that, but it is interesting how the gay identity has really flourished and grown and is protected by law now in ways that it wasn't 30 years ago. It's not just the activity that's wrong. So yeah, Jolene. So are we talking about more about what society is or within the church? Because We're talking we more, about, more about society, but what happens in society often infiltrates the church. Right, so we were in 1 Corinthians and it says that for, um, don't worry about what's going on on the outside. Worry about what's going on judge the household, in the church. Judge, yeah. uh, it's not for us to, uh, inside the church whom you are to judge. God yeah. judges those outside. Yeah. So I've worked with transgenders, and I've, mm -hmm. I've got the alphabet people sure. and um, all of that where it, it is hard. I mean, you know, because you have to, to me, love the person. Sure. Right? I mm -hmm. mean, am I wrong? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I think that they pretty much know that I do not approve of their lifestyle. Yeah. Not that I'm anybody to have to approve yeah. their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that's where it kind of gets uh, iffy. So I wasn't sure where we were. Uh, yeah, and, and what I'm saying too, is... It says turn them over to their sin. It's not for me to change them. Yeah, within the church that is definitely the case. Okay. And I'd say why this is a relevant topic is there has been church pressure, pressure even from within the church, do you have a more affirming view of homosexuality? Um, some very famous Christians, I'm not gonna name them all, but some very famous Christians have, are definitely trying to pull the church this way. Um, 
I think the other thing, because this is so ubiquitous and all over the place, that how do we minister to people? And what do we do when love, we love the sinner but hate the sin doesn't make sense to people anymore? Because they say, my sin is me. Does that make sense? So that's why I'm kind of dialoguing with this a little bit later on. Um, our church, I think, is pretty robust on this issue. Um, but it is a major like when I share the gospel now with a non-believer, this is an issue that comes up. And um, how do you respond to that? Okay, so that's that's kind of where it is. And now it's even moved past homosexuality to transgenderism, which I think Scott might be taking next time we go. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of set the stage with some statistics here. And um, these are tough to ascertain because... Mm-hmm. They have been uh, curated uh, by many activist movements. So some of these statistics are old, but um, part of it is getting new statistics. It's a little bit more difficult. So definition, although the definition of homosexuality varies on experience, attitude, and frequency, and disposition, the American Psychiatric Association defines it as the following. And again, now I'll give you the biblical definition here, but since we're kind of engaging the culture, I'm going to go with this. As a sexual orientation, homosexuality refers to an enduring pattern or of or disposition to experience sexual, affectional, and romantic attractions primarily to persons of the same sex. It also refers to an individual's sense of personal and social identity based on those attractions, behaviors expressing them, and membership in a community of others who share them. So I think this basically captures the cultural moment, right? Again, notice it's your feelings determine if you are gay. And so a lot of times there's this introspective process and there's this realization that all of a sudden that's when I figured out that I'm gay. And then you become part of the gay community and you identify and you have this whole ritual of coming out and when did you come out and how did you come out? I remember um, back in the 90s at KU, um, there was a national coming out of the closet day and there was a door frame that was, you know, kind of sitting on Wesco Beach, which is where all the, you know, people have their gatherings. And people would, would talk about how they discovered they were gay, and then they would walk through this door, right? It was like a baptism service, mm-hmm. right? So there's a real deep identity uh, that comes with this, okay, which can make it kind of challenging, right? Now, population, uh, it's long been believed that 10% of the male population, 5% of the female population are homosexuals, yet that number was inherited from research of William Kinsey, who used a large number of prison inmates and male prostitutes in a study. Kinsey is a terrible man and a terrible researcher, by the way, okay? <coughs> he created a lot of assumptions that still endure to this day. So, a 1989 study at the University of Chicago revealed that less than 1% of the populace is exclusively homosexual. Other estimates vary between 2 and 7% of the population, depending on the question, how the question is posed. So it's really hard to tell now, um, among the young, that trans num- um, the bisexual and the transgender number has just ballooned. I think, par- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I think for us... Gen Zers uh-huh. as a generation, uh-huh. more than homosexuality itself, um, 
like inherent specific homosexuality, I think the biggest struggle has been um, where it's kind of just bleh. Like, like the entire concept of sexuality is who cares? Mm-hmm. And in, in the sense of they care very much, but who cares who you like, what you like? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard to, it's hard, not particularly difficult, but um, it, it can be hard to specifically address homosexuality when really the issue at hand, at least I've encountered, is less specifically I'm gay and more specifically, I can be attracted to whomever and whatever I want yep. to be attracted to. Being pansexual. You don't get to yes. stop me. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why gathering statistics is becoming uh, very difficult. So you kind of have a, like a line here, right? The transgender. And so let's say somebody is gay, but then they figure out that I'm, not, I'm attracted to men as a man, but then he realizes I'm attracted to man, but I'm really a woman, well that moves somebody over to this transgender category that wasn't there before. Does that make sense? So that's why get, you, know, you have this range of between 2 and 7% would identify in these categories here, but then you have a growing transgender number, especially among the, among the young. Yeah? It's kind of good along what Malachi said. I think that's a really important point because when in 20 years ago, the question was, I'm born a lesbian, yep. I'm born gay. It was a physical question. Yep. This fundamentally was born to be into my body. Yeah. And now the issue is much more, I'm free yeah. to be with whoever yeah. I want in whatever way I want. So it's less an issue of, this is biologically who I am, mm-hmm. and more an issue of complete sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it, even saying someone's gay or lesbian actually is outmoded in many respects because that's saying you're stuck in one thing and they're actually saying that's where pansexual no I'm totally free to be whatever I want whenever I want at any point and that can change yeah those are very different arguments and it's a very different issue to address in some ways yeah that's why like the transgender movement and the ideology behind it is the greatest threat to um, homosexual theory Um, they are opposing ideologies and there is concern among, let's say, gay men that all of a sudden these gay men are becoming women, quote unquote, and that's going to destroy the gay community, quote unquote. Does that make sense? So this transgender ideology is really set against what defined the LGB argument for, for generations. So something to kind of watch out for. Dayton? It comes back to <clears throat> the issue of truth as it uses the barometer. Uh-huh. And so as you move into the, the gay movement, you're, it's a redefining of terminology. Yeah. They don't want to address the actual issue. They can't use the vocabulary. They're not making a case. It's kind of like today. If you want to change something, they're not going to do is to go before uh, the legislature, make your case, and argue it. Yeah. And if you can't do that, you don't have a strong foundation, yeah. then you start changing the culture. Let's change the terms. And if yeah. I make it blurry enough, then you can't actually speak. So every time you use a word, yeah. somebody else hears something different. And so you try and muddy the waters as much as possible, then everything becomes okay. Yeah. And so and you're seeing the transsexual movement. It's just another step in that same direction. Before we were dealing with the issue of marriage, yeah. who can I be married to? Then it becomes an issue of what is sex. It's one mm-hmm. other step removed from the root. Yeah, there's, a, there's a deep, they call it the, queer, the queering of all categories. 
right? Where every category has been cleared. So, you know, kind of what Malachi was saying is all, like, your gender is now irrelevant now. LGBT is actually LGBTTTQIA. Yeah, because what is gay? I mean, you, a man attracted to a man. Well, if there's no man anymore, or being a man is irrelevant, then what, what is, what does it even mean to be gay? So even this identity is being eroded by this ideology. Yeah, well? Yeah, I've heard statistics, you know, like the explosion, just of this whole gender confusion, with 140 genders now, mm -hmm. you have 4,000 percent. Yeah. Increase in the last three years. I've heard some statistics. Yeah. Just a story at my job. My supervisor is gay, mm -hmm. and we had two. Um, we had two. One quit, but they were transgender, and his view was that they're freaks. You know, and mm -hmm. the other person who was talking to him said, uh, "So aren't aren't you all the same? Don't you all love each other? You know, LG, you're part of the alphabet." He said, "No, they're freaks." Yeah, I mean, a, a, thought, a thoughtful homosexual man knows that you're basically eradicating this category with the explosion of this one. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, if, um, being a man is irrelevant. So there, there is some, we haven't seen the end of this. Um, there's just a lot of confusion. And you even look up, let's say, Pete Buttigieg, you know, the, what is he, uh, Secretary of Transportation. <laughs> I mean, he's actually boring, right? Like, is being a gay man is not a marginalized category anymore. Um, so they were all political allies, but they're ideological adversaries. So I don't know how long that movement can hold together. But all that to say, like the, the amount of like LGB people, it's very difficult to figure out with stats, yeah. I would just say, um, if you're in the academic, when I was getting my do my dissertation, we did a lot of study on mm -hmm. how academic journals and writing work. And if you're not familiar with the process, um, they have to go through something, every <coughs> art wants to go through peer review. Mm -hmm. And so if you write an article and you submit it, um, in order to be accepted into that journal article, a selection committee of your peers has to review that article and say this is consistent with the modern research. Mm -hmm. So, as the climate of your peers changes, it makes it more and more difficult to find uh, results and get them published mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. One, it puts your career at, at stake if it's at odds with the views of your university. And two, it's almost impossible to get approved by peer review if it's not consistent with the current views and beliefs of the yeah. academic world. And so that's why you'll see drastic changes in what the research shows as the culture yeah. changes. I mean, at, when it works well, peer review prevents people from making false and unsupported claims. Yeah. But at its worst, it says the opposite. <laughs> yeah. it, it limits the ability to say something that's not popular. Yeah, and there's advocacy groups who will scrutinize articles and and just tear it apart, but they will leave other articles that support their view alone. And there's an interesting uh, study that was done by some, um, some uh, academics who wrote just completely fictitious studies, but they were very in line with what the current research said, and they have all passed peer reviews and yep. got published. And uh, it's kind of uh, was an embarrassing kind of mark 
Yeah, I think they're AI things. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to just say real quick. It reminds me of um, uh, when monkeypox was becoming a, a situation, and uh, there were a huge amount of studies showing mm -hmm. certain causal links. Yep. Um, especially, and, and I mean, monkeypox was showing up in children and animals. Um, uh, but when that direct causal link was discovered, the, the, the subject was shut down immediately. I remember seeing news on my phone about monkeypox for weeks. Mm -hmm. And then there was, I saw one article about yeah. how monkeypox was conclusively linked to homosexual behavior. And then mm -hmm. after that, I, I never saw a single article about yeah. the subject again. Yeah, so all that to say, the stats, so some of these stats are old, but this is kind of what I gathered. So um, when you look at adoption, um, okay, in the 2020 United States Census, same-sex married couples accounted for 0.5% of all U.S. households, and the unmarried same-sex households accounted for 0.4% of all households. So that's government data. There could be more, but so we're looking at 1% of households would be a gay couple. Um, and of course, you have many single gays out there. Uh, adoption in 2000s U.S. Census, 33% of uh, female same-sex coupled households and 22% of male same-sex coupled households report at least one child under the age of 18 living in the home. And most of those, um, it says adoption, but most of those are because of a prior relationship that they still have custody of their kids. Uh, sexual activity, Dr. William Fage the director of the United States uh, Centers for Disease Control in 1983 states that the average AIDS victim had 60 different sexual partners in the past 12 months. In contrast, that average heterosexual male has throughout his life five to nine sex partners. Um, that's an old study. I got something updated um, in Australia, which often found that Australia and England were more, it's a less politically charged climate, so I think you get better information there. Um, a 2014 representative study in Australia found that the heterosexual men had a median of eight female sexual partners in their lifetime, while gay men had a median of 19 uh, partners, which kind of makes sense um, you know, when you kind of understand uh, it is a different lifestyle and culture, and that's part of it. Disease, as of 2017, most HIV transmission in the United States occurs among men who had sex with men. 70% of new cases come from this group. Um, other stats I came up with, um, there's a study in England a few years ago that 20% of gay men in their, gay and lesbian, gays and lesbian in their 50s and above, 20% had higher rates of self-reported ill health. Um, in general, they have higher rates of alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, mental health, and, and domestic abuse, which is interesting. So, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, the narrative would be they live in a society where there's lots of stigma towards homosexuality and the, so that to find ways to cope. Um, that is a possibility. I think the other possibility is, um, you know, when you're kind of handed over and you don't have the common grace of relationships, relationship with the Lord, that's often what happens. So any questions about that? So that's just kind of the pervasiveness. And, and again, some of the stats about behavior and stuff like that is a little bit harder to find, but that's what I could confidently assert. In the years of huh? investigation, um, there was 
uh, I, I actually have it somewhere on my computer, one of my many hundred tabs I still have up. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> um, there's, it showed that uh, the highest percentage of abusive households is lesbian households. Yeah followed by gay households yep. and then heterosexual households. Yeah, intimate partner abuse. And, and part of that ends up, when you have a heterosexual couple, it's obvious who the monster is, right? Right, there, as much as we talk about egalitarianism, it's always wrong for a man to hit a woman. It's always wrong for a woman to hit a man, but we all understand because of the strength of the man, that is abusive. But when, but when it's two women or two men and there's not a one that's kind of singled out for special protection, then yeah, that can that can happen. But yeah, there there is a lot of domestic abuse in the gay community that you don't hear too much about. But it is there. Okay, any questions about that? So that's just kind of the world that we live in, some basic stats. Um, I think you could probably make a case that uh, you know, the gay lifestyle does not lead to human flourishing. But that's not what makes it wrong, right? What ultimately makes it wrong is the clear testimony of, of Scripture. And so as we go to kind of like biblical teaching, I think there's a couple ways that we can look at this. Sometimes, um, have you guys ever heard of the term clobberverse? Okay, what's a clobberverse? Yeah, it's one of the five texts in scripture that every homosexual knows. Um, and the allegation is that Christians use this verse to clobber homosexuals, right? And I think what you have to keep in mind too is, is those verses, I think, set up a larger narrative in scripture about um, the blessedness and the sanctity uh, of marriage. Right? And marriage as defined by God between one man and one woman for, for life. Right? And that's an illustration that is used of Christ and the church being the bride of Christ. Um, there's man was created, you know, male and female, he created them, he joined them as one flesh. Right? There's a, there is a pro-marriage understanding. Marriage is intimately tied into the call to be fruitful and multiply, to rule and subdue the earth. And gay marriage, by, very, by its very definition, it, it, it's sterile, right? It cannot produce and raise life, which is contrary to that command. So there's a, there's a bunch of other like bigger picture uh, statements that affirm the goodness of heterosexual marriage, and any deviation from that is, is, is highlighted, any threat to that. Does that make sense? So we'll still look at these passages, you know, these clobber passages. And, and again, I mean, how many verses do you need to prove that something's wrong? Just one, right, just one. Some are more clear than the others. Um, but as you recall, when we talked about um, how does a Christian understand the Old Testament, you know, we're not under the Old Covenant law. But what we're gonna find is you know, there are right, so we have you know, kind of the markings you know, we have creation, right? And we have the giving of the law you know, the old covenant 
And then we have the new covenant. And so when we do look at the distribution of the clobber verses, you have one here before the law. You have two, um, two different spots in Exodus, or two different spots in Leviticus, sorry. And then you have three in the new covenant law. So in every epic of um, Christian law, so to speak, law for the people of God, you see that it is forbidden. So we'll look at that first one and examine the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do I have a volunteer to read this for me? It's a lengthy passage. Ashton, you want to get it? Thanks. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from everywhere quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, and shut the door behind them, and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters, who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you, and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men, and inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came under near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blind, blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Okay. So the way... Uh, a homosexual <coughs> apologist would explain this passage away is that this is not talking about loving monogamous homosexual relationships right ancient areas and sexuality is defined by dominance and submission is kind of like what you see in prison um, sex never occurred between equals for instance it is asserted that conquering army would rape their captives to demonstrate their dominance and and that is true um, this story is not a condemnation of homosexuality, but a story about rape and inhospitality, right? So they would look at a passage like Exodus or Ezekiel 16:49. I've got it here. It said, "Behold, this is the guilt of your sister Sodom, and you know, your sister Sodom. She and her sis daughters had pride, excess food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. So they were guilty of not practicing hospitality." and helping the poor, right? So that's why they were condemned. It was not about them practicing loving monogamous homosexual relationships. So here's a response. Um, the biblical witness of 2 Peter 2, 7 and Jude 7. In fact, let's read that passage. I think they say the, the same thing. I got 2 Peter 2, 7 here. And if you rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, 
right? Makes it clear that it's their sensual conduct in Jude 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, um, you know, it's the sexual conduct that was punished. And when you keep on reading in Ezekiel, right, as he, as he talks about not aiding the poor and the needy, it says in verse 50, they were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it, right? Yeah, there's a reason why God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not just what happened here, it was happening the whole time and what was taking place. And you know why Lot tried to bring in the, the angels into his home because he knew what would t eventually take place. So, um, and it makes it clear that the sin of Sodom was not related to a lack of hospitality, but to their lewd sexual conduct in regards to rape. There is no reason to suggest that what Lot's neighbors wanted to do would be permissible if the strangers had considered, right? So again, um, that's not the first passage I take somebody to, um, but there does seem to be a strong condemnation for that action that is affirmed, you know, that judgment is affirmed in the New Testament. So you've got two passages, right, in the New Testament that point back here to that sin as being wrong. Okay, so we'll go ahead and stop right there. And we're going to get to the Leviticus passages next week, which uh, are more useful than you think when talking about this. So let me pray. Well, Father, we come before you grateful for the clarity that Scripture gives on this topic. And I pray that we will, um, one, have the courage to push back on what the world deems as right and good, and that... But in our pushback, there will be a desire not to win arguments, but to win souls and to, um, you know, see people rescued from this. Uh, pray for the rest of the worship service. That will be um, pleasing to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.